Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. Congress is ready to return to Washington after a summer recess where members have been out and about in their districts hearing what's on the minds of voters. During that recess, there have also been mass shootings that have increased pressure on lawmakers to do something to stem gun violence in the country. Today, we'll be joined for the entire program by Republican Congressman Andy Barr, who represents Central Kentucky. And for the first segment, we're also joined by Congressman Phil Rowe of Tennessee. He's also a medical doctor and influential voice on health care issues in Congress. And Rowe is the ranking member of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs as well. In that capacity, uh, he's in Lexington, where he toured the VA medical facilities. And the two congressmen join us for Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it very Great much. Great to be with you, Bill. You we're pointing out that to Congressman Rowe is uh, basically a neighbor uh, to, uh, to Kentucky, no question, uh, serving there in the in northeastern Tennessee. Proof Appreciate that Tennessee and Kentucky fans can get, <laughs> get along every so often. At least here for a few minutes, <laughs> right? <laughs> for a few minutes. That's right. Uh, Congressman Barr, tell us the reason that uh, you and uh, Congressman Rowe are, have been visiting the VA and uh, what you've been doing in that capacity the last couple of days. Well, Congressman Rowe, former Chairman Rowe and Dr. Rowe is a good friend of mine in Congress, a mentor to me, and really I credit uh, Congressman Rowe for helping me um, um, attain a seat on the, on the Veterans Affairs Committee to have an elevated voice on behalf of Kentucky's veterans. And we're very grateful uh, to Congressman Rowe for coming to our district yet again. He's been here several times, uh, this time to tour the, the Lexington VA Medical Center uh, 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 Chairman Rowe in the last Congress helped me uh, with legislation to rename the Lexington VA Medical Center in honor of World War II heroes Franklin Sousley and Troy Bowling. Uh, but also, uh, this is the man in Congress who is the author of the VA Mission Act, a transformational reform of the VA that's going to allow uh, our veterans to get the health care that they deserve. Uh, and Congressman Rowe, uh, do you think uh, things are improving? We know about the wait times that uh, veterans have uh, faced in the past, uh, the horrible rates of uh, suicide that we've seen among those who have uh, served our country. We ask our service members to do a lot, and you, sir, yourself are a veteran. You have, uh, you have served the country. Are we improving the way uh, that our military is treated after their service? I think, Bill, I think there's no question that it has. I uh, was on the committee in 2009. I grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee, which was uh, really the home of the 101st Airborne Division. You guys stole that most of uh, Fort Campbell's in Tennessee, I might add. But I grew up there in a military town. And uh, as Andy said and you said, I served in the 2nd Infantry Division at Korea in 1973-1974. So it was a natural spot for me to be on the VA. And it was embarrassing uh, in 2014 when we found out about these secret wait lists in Arizona. And I visited that hospital uh, in Phoenix, the one where the scandal started, and everybody, Republican and Democrat, uh, was embarrassed by this. All Americans were. And so we worked very hard with the VA to improve that. And I think there's no question that the VA health care has improved dramatically. And what Andy was talking about, the VA Mission Act is really a three-pronged bill. One, it's how veterans get their care either inside or outside the VA. It was very confusing for the VA 
let's say, and I saw patients uh, for uh, the VA in our hometown. Um, let's say you came to the VA and you needed to see a doctor outside. There were six different ways the VA had to get you non-VA care, which is about 35% of all VA health care is, is provided outside the VA. Now there's one way to do that, so it's, we've simplified that. Uh, also, we had to write a bill that was good for rural America, as much of Kentucky is, and for urban America. You're very lucky here in Lexington. You guys have a fantastic VA hospital here, a five-star rated hospital associated with the University of Kentucky. But that's not the case in many areas. I was visiting a friend of mine in Oregon whose one congressional district had more square miles than the state of Tennessee does. So there's a lot of, of rural at Western America that has to be served in a different way. So that's what we did. Do you believe, Congressman, that this VA Mission Act is, uh, will help in a sustained way going forward? I mean, does, is, it seems that the trouble with the VA over the last 20, 30 years has been two steps forward and then two steps back. I mean, do you feel like that now the sustained emphasis is there? I do. I, I, that's a great way to put this. I think there's no question. We're not going to take that step back. Um, and I, I think there, the, the bill that I wrote uh, and with Andy's help, uh, the reason healthcare is changing in, in America, and by 2030, we're going to be 100,000 doctors, physicians short in this country. So we're going to have to use the best of the private sector and the best, uh, best of the VA sector. And, and really, I'm very agnostic about where a veteran gets their care. I just want that patient to get the absolute very best care they can, wherever it may be. Let's talk about uh, the, the opioid epidemic, uh, an issue in, in both of your districts, obviously, and the Congressman Barr, you have uh, worked on that. We've seen a slight reduction uh, in the uh, number of uh, overdose deaths in Kentucky, and that is encouraging. We also got word that there's a, a more than $30 billion coming to Kentucky uh, as part of an act passed in 2016 to try to address this problem. But is the progress uh, uh, being made adequately? No, because we still have over 1,300 Kentuckians who have uh, uh, died of an overdose death last year alone. Now, that's modest progress from previous years. Uh, we saw last year over 70,000 of our fellow Americans die of an opioid overdose. We still get reports from Department of Homeland Security and the Office of National Drug Control Policy that deadly fentanyl, synthetic opioids, and heroin is still pouring across our southern border. Um, and we still don't have enough of a response in terms of transitional housing, addiction recovery services. But that's changing because last, uh, last Congress we passed uh, the Support Patients and Communities Act. There's a, I, I reread that, that bill that we passed that, uh, that uh, Chairman Rowe and I uh, worked on together. And that legislation has a lot of good uh, programs that I think will bring better treatment and recovery services to families that are struggling with this problem. But we have to fund it. And uh, in the next uh, few months, uh, the Congress will be addressing the funding of those programs. I'm very excited for Kentucky about this Career Act, which will bring more community development block grant funds uh, and WIOA funds or job training funds for transitional housing and job training for second chance employees, um, which is really part of the recovery process. Bill, part of the problem we have in the country right now is, is our jails have become our mental health facilities. If you go and you talk to any, at least in northeast Tennessee where I represent, and I'll bet you here in Kentucky also, you go talk to a sheriff or a police chief somewhere, and they're going to tell you that 80% of the people that are in their jails are there because of drugs. When I graduated from medical school, we had 
500,000 inpatient hospital beds for mental illness and for treatment like Andy was talking about. Today, the, the population's grown, what, 50% since then, and we have less than 50,000 inpatient beds. We don't have any place to treat people. I guarantee you today, you can go down to the emergency room right here in Lexington, Kentucky, and there'll be somebody sitting there waiting for a place to go to be uh, housed for mental health treatment. We see it all the time. We've got to completely re-put that together so that people have a place to go get treated and get off these drugs. And just in Tennessee, I want to very quickly say this. I'm an OBGYN doctor. That's how I made my living. And 1998, we had less than about 50 opioid-addicted babies in the entire state of Tennessee. By 2015, that number had crossed a thousand. So it is an epidemic, and we do need to, as a society, address these problems. Well, let me uh, ask this: vaping now, if you know, suddenly uh, is uh, uh, that something that is being tracked by uh, here in Kentucky and in other states uh, as both a, a clinician, a doctor, and a, and a member of Congress? Uh, would you be supportive of uh, some tough rules on that? Michigan just uh, outlawed uh, uh, certain flavors because they said it was enticing to young people. Is this uh, an area emerging that we've got to get a handle on? I think it is, Bill. I think you've looked at it, and, and actually there have been deaths because of, uh, of with vaping, and I think we've got to seriously look at, at this and certainly enticing young people, teenagers and even younger, to, to vape. Where are we going on the overall approach to health care in this country? Uh, you, you know, one presidential election to the next, uh, there are all kinds of uh, proposals that come up. Some Democratic presidential candidates are calling for universal coverage or Medicaid for all. Many conservatives say that uh, defend the private insurance and say the health care system is working well overall. Do you anticipate, both of you gentlemen, a very robust debate on that next year in this country? Well, I do. And, um, you know, Dr. Rowe talks about the physician shortage, which is of a crisis proportions. That only gets worse if we go to this single-payer government takeover. Uh, when you talk about uh, under-reimbursing providers, um, a single-payer or a so-called Medicare for All system would result in a drastic and catastrophic <coughs> provider shortage, not just with physicians, but with allied health professionals and nurses. So what we need is a robust private health insurance marketplace that can cross-subsidize a generous uh, and sustainable safety net, Medicare and Medicaid. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. I want to just credit uh, my, my, uh, my guest here in Central Kentucky because as a physician, he's a real leader in health care policy. And I've co-sponsored a bill uh, that's a bipartisan bill that he wrote in this Congress. I do have hope that we can address this issue of balanced billing or surprise bills in a bipartisan way. Dr. Rowe has been a leader working in a bipartisan way on a solution that would, that would take the patient out of that situation. Obamacare really produced high deductibles and it produced a lot of surprise bills because we have narrow networks and a lot of out-of-network uh, uh, provision of health care. Dr. Rowe's got a bipartisan solution to fix that and I'm proud to co-sponsor his bill. Uh, how would that work, uh, Congressman Rowe? Well, it's very simple. When you, uh, let's say you come to the emergency room and, and you have to have your appendix out and you find out that the anesthesiologist who works there at the hospital was not in your network and you get a bill that otherwise your insurance would have covered. What our bill says, you're not involved in that at all. That's a negotiation between, between the provider and the insurance company. And if it isn't decided, if you, they can't decide, it goes to baseball-style arbitration, this, this, uh, where you either get to pick one or the other. You don't, uh, it's not Solomon dividing the baby, it's one or the other. 
that's been uh, used in New York State for five years. It's worked great. Rates have not gone up, and almost nobody goes to arbitration. It's all decided, and the patient stays totally out of it. And that's what we want to do. Both of you gentlemen served uh, in the majority in Congress, and now you're in the minority. That's a lot more fun. I was going to ask that, and now you're in the minority. We had Hal Rogers, a congressman from uh, Southeast Kentucky, with us well. a few uh, weeks back, and he said the same thing. Uh, do you feel, uh, I mean, how do you operate as a, as a minority member of Congress? I mean, uh, it is very easy for the majority to simply uh, not listen to your suggestions, isn't it? Well, it, it is, but those of us, I've been there for 10 years, and those of us have gotten to know folks that are there. We work with, uh, uh, certainly on the VA committee, it's a totally bipartisan committee, and this balanced bill, and Dr. Ruiz is my uh, counterpart, who's a physician, ER physician from California. We know and respect each other, and we put this bill together. Donna Shalala, uh, who was uh, President Clinton's HHS director, is now in Congress. She's one of the big, uh, most vocal advocates. We've gotten to know her, so there are people behind the scenes that we work together on bipartisan legislation. It's still, there are still issues of abortion, other things that are, that are very uh, divided, but there are many things we still work together on. Absolutely, I, I agree, and, and Dr. Rose is a great example of that. You know, here you have uh, a, a physician who is very much against Obamacare and a physician who is very much in favor of Obamacare, but we're, we're finding overlapping interest on this balanced billing issue, and uh, I'm, I'm proud to be part of that to try to find solutions uh, even amidst the larger health care debates. Does that look to be something that uh, this can be done this session or is that next year? I think it's going to pass and uh, I, 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 there are three competing bills out there uh, but I believe that it's going to happen and the reason is because everyone in America is affected by this. It's not a partisan issue. This is a, a bipartisan there are bipartisan solutions that are going to happen. Congressman Rowe, uh, thank you very much uh, for being with us. We appreciate thank it you. very much. I'm going to continue to uh, uh, skewer Congressman Barr with some questions <laughs> here. <laughs> so he'll have the tougher segment. Well, I'm off the hook. That's we great. appreciate you very much for coming. <laughs> Thanks for having And me. we'll be back yeah. on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Stay with us. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers, continuing our discussion now with Congressman Andy Barr, the Republican who represents Central Kentucky in Washington. And again, thanks for being here, Congressman. Uh, over the summer congressional recess, uh, there were mass shootings, as we know, in Dayton, Ohio, El Paso, Texas, last weekend uh, out in West Texas, uh, where a shooter did not undergo a background check for the weapon he used. As you return to Washington this coming week, uh, this is a red-hot issue. Do you expect the gun violence issue to, uh, to be at the forefront of the agenda? I do. I, I think we can expect to have some votes, uh, not just in the Judiciary Committee, but in the, in the full House. Uh, Senator McConnell has indicated that he would allow a vote on some uh, uh, violence prevention measures uh, as long as the President signals a willingness to uh, sign those measures into law. What I'm concerned about, and I've, I've spent a good portion of the August uh, district work period listening to my constituents, and admittedly diverse voices in my district. Uh, I've listened to Moms Demand Action. We had a, a very productive meeting in my office. I've listened to, to uh, law enforcement about this issue, school administrators, teachers, parents, kids, uh, and sportsmen's groups, the, the hunters of our district, and the Second, right, uh, Second Amendment rights uh, proponents in our district. I've listened to all of these people to make sure I fully understand where everybody is and what I'm concerned about, uh, what I hear maybe coming down the pike in uh, that U.S. House, are partisan bills uh, that would not only 
violate the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens, but wouldn't do anything to prevent any of these mass shootings. There is a narrative that Republicans in Congress refuse to do anything about this issue. That's just simply false. In the last Congress, uh, we passed the Stop School Violence Act, which provided additional resources to local schools for threat assessment, better coordination between school districts and law enforcement. We also passed the Fix NICS Act, and a lot of the gun control advocates are telling us that we need to fix the loopholes in background checks. I'm sympathetic to that idea. Background checks are, are obviously important to keep guns out of the wrong hands. Uh, but the background checks, you can do all the checks you want if the database against which those checks are applied does not uh, reveal that this person is, is someone who has made threatening statements, uh, has mental illness issues, uh, or is a prior criminal. More checks is, uh, is not what is going to help prevent keep guns out of the wrong hands. Would you support legislation for more uh, reporting of information like that to the database so that it could be accurate? Absolutely. And, and the, uh, in the last Congress, I voted for the Fix Nix Act, which put penalties on federal agencies that failed to populate this database with accurate information. My, my colleague, uh, Congressman Rowe, and my colleague from, uh, from the South Carolina area, uh, Congressman Tom Rice, he has legislation uh, that would include more databases in the NICS system, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. Uh, that would have stopped the Charleston uh, shooting, the tragedy down there. So we are taking action. We just want to take action that actually keeps guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. We don't want to keep guns out of the hands of law-abiding citizens. Let's go to that loophole question, though, that you seem tenuous about. No check is required on private sales uh, right now. Uh, do you favor closing that loophole? The Department of Justice, Bill, has done a study about this. And um, in 2016, they found that they did a survey of uh, all of these uh, mass shootings, these uh, criminal acts with firearms. And what they found was only 0.8% of all firearms used in the commission of a crime were obtained at a so-called private sale or a gun show. The bulk of the problem here is not the private sale. The bulk of the problem, according to the Department of Justice own criminal statistics, is uh, when criminals commit a crime or when there is a theft of uh, of, a, of a firearm. So what we support, what I support, is the Mass, the Mass Violence Prevention Act, which is a bill that our colleague Doug Collins has introduced. That would, uh, number one, increase the penalties for uh, burglaries and robberies of federally licensed firearm dealers, and it would hire more U.S. attorneys, 50 or additional assistant U.S. attorneys, to prosecute those gun-related crimes. And one other thing it would do that would have prevented the Parkland tragedy in Florida a fusion center where the FBI would create a fusion center to create better communication between federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies. So many of these mass shooters announce their intentions ahead of time, and the law enforcement community has not been connecting the dots. This fusion center would mandate greater uh, interagency communication to identify these threats before they actually materialize. The Pentagon is shifting about three and a half billion dollars in military money for construction of about 150 miles of wall along the uh, uh, U.S.-Mexican border. We know you support uh, that wall being built. Do you support this action coming without uh, congressional approval? Well, it actually has congressional approval. It has congressional approval because these are funds that are already appropriated for national security purposes. 
There is no greater national security or homeland security purpose than physical infrastructure and border security, not just physical infrastructure. So, so you understand this to be within the, the, the budget confines? Yes, because the president uh, has from Congress the statutory authorization to reprogram these funds with the declaration of a national emergency. Now, we have military construction uh, uh, needs that we need to appropriate for, and obviously these funds are displacing other military construction priorities. We need to address that, we need to backfill that. So it's not a question of um, cannibalizing the existing military construction budget. We need to fund those important projects as well. Uh, but regrettably, uh, the House uh, stood in the way earlier this year of this very important national security issue. And so I do appropriate, I do approve of the President using the authorities that Congress has given him to reprogram these funds for uh, border security. Congressman, we're barreling toward Kentucky statewide elections, and weeks after that, we start voting in America in the presidential contests. Are we doing enough to be sure that our election systems are safe from a cyber attacks or manipulation? Well, obviously, uh, interference is something on the minds of a lot of Americans, given what happened in 2016. Uh, we need real, uh, meaningful uh, protections of our election system from cyber attacks. Uh, we don't need partisan bills that would um, actually open up uh, opportunities for voter fraud. Uh, so I think um, some of the efforts in Congress are really more partisan in nature and really wouldn't address the fundamental issue. But clearly, uh, we do have legislation that I've supported that would beef up uh, election security from cyber attacks. And I would say this, it's not just the threat from Russia. I think what you see with China right now is a very serious threat facing our country. Uh, our critical infrastructure is being attacked uh, through cyber attacks from uh, not just Russia, but China, North Korea, and other bad actors in the world every single day. In fact, in the Financial Services Committee, we hear from the chairman of the Fed, we hear from the CEOs of the top financial institutions of America that this is the, the greatest threat to our economy and our national security. So it is about election security, but it's also about the integrity of our financial system and all critical infrastructure. All right. Our remaining moments with Congressman Andy Barr and Kentucky Newsmakers when we come right back. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're visiting now with Kentucky Congressman Andy Barr, Republican of Lexington, who represents the 6th Congressional District and who will be running for re-election next year. Uh, tariffs, volatility in the stock market. Uh, how do you feel about the economy going into this election year? Well, the Trump administration has kept its word in renegotiating a much better deal in North America in terms of creating greater free trade. This is something that's supported by Kentucky farmers, Toyota, the bourbon industry. The USMCA, or NAFTA 2.0, is, is the Trump administration keeping its promise to renegotiate our trade deals to get better, freer, fairer, reciprocal trade. And that is vitally important to give our trade negotiators leverage as they continue to deal uh, with the unfair trading practices of China. If we can get USMCA passed and approved, uh, that puts a whole lot more pressure on China to deal with the United States, stop their theft of intellectual property, stop the forced transfer of technology, and, and come into the 21st century in terms of fair trade. Uh, what I would say is that, unfortunately, we, we don't yet have an indication that Speaker Pelosi is going to give us a vote. I'm confident 
that if Speaker Pelosi gives us a vote on USMCA, we'll have uh, upwards of 300 votes, a bipartisan vote. The question for the Speaker is whether or not she's willing to, uh, to counter the far-left voices in her caucus that don't want to give the president a win. But what I would say, Bill, is this is not about giving President Trump a win. It's about giving American workers, farmers, and ranchers a win because it is a good deal for American jobs. Congressman, there is a huge divide in the country on the priority of climate change. A recent poll says 84% of Democrats consider it a major threat to the well-being of the United States. Only 27% of Republicans do. You're in a you know a very purple district here. Uh, how, how much urgency do you place on the climate change issue? I think it's less a difference of opinion about the urgency of the issue. It's the difference is how do we address the issue? Um, a lot of the voices on the far left talk about this green new deal, which would literally destroy our economy. Uh, what we're talking about in uh, in the Republican Party about how to address these issues is. Let's do it the American way, the way we've always solved great problems facing our country, and that's through free enterprise and innovation. Uh, yes, there's a public sector role. That's why I support um, energy research at the University of Kentucky. I'm okay with that. We should invest in new technology and research and development, but we also have to recognize that the private sector is doing a lot of good work in science, technology, innovation. We need to unleash the creative uh, capacity of the American people to solve this problem. Central planning from Washington will not change the weather. Did we make a mistake uh, 20, 30 years ago in not investing more in clean coal technology? Well, perhaps, but you know, uh, hindsight is 2020. I think the important thing now is that we recognize that there's a lot of innovation that is possible in terms of harnessing the carbon cycle, in terms of innovation, in terms of um, uh, carbon capture technology, in terms of um, um, recognizing that uh, there, there is uh, scientific breakthroughs can, that can make a difference in this area, technological breakthroughs that can make a difference in this, in this area. You have at least one announced Democratic opponent, Josh Hicks. Uh, he is a former Marine police officer and attorney. Do you see him as formidable opposition if he's the nominee? Well, I'm sure the Democratic Party uh, next spring will fight it out and determine who their nominee is. But, but to be honest with you, Bill, I'm not focused on politics right now. There's a political race going on this fall. It's a very important governor's race, a very important nationally significant attorney's general race. I'll let the, the, those uh, candidates for those offices uh, uh, do the politics this fall. We've got so much work to do. Uh, this fall. Uh, I'm not worried about or concerned or focused on politics right now. I've got to do my job and that's passing USMCA, deliver more for addiction recovery for my district, uh, continue to address some of the challenges uh, facing uh, our Commonwealth, promote industrial hemp, which we're, right, we're doing, and, uh, and, and focus on doing my Congressman, job. Congressman, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. That's our time. Thanks for joining us. Have a good week ahead.